Hi listeners, Jessie here. I just wanted to give you the heads up that today's guest shares with us a very raw and honest conversation around a terminal diagnosis and death. It is honest and authentic, potentially painful, but is underpinned by beauty and hope, and it is incredibly inspiring and moving. I just thought it would be a good idea to let you know before you dive in, in case you would rather save this conversation for another time. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Jesse Douglas Smith McGraw, and this is What Moves You with Jesse. I'm a transformative coach on a mission to share an understanding of how our minds work that challenges how we react to life and our thoughts. I love to share stories and common sense ideas that empower you to take charge of yourself in a way that brings immediate and profound change. What I know to be true is that we are all innately healthy and doing our best with the thinking we have available to us on a moment-to-moment basis. And waking up to this will change what moves you. I'm so happy you're here. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to What Moves You with Jesse. Today, we have a very special guest, uh, my dear friend, Julie. Say hi, Julie. Hello, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Julie is going to introduce herself because this, uh, the reason why I have her on the podcast is for uh, some really significant experiences that she has had in her life that I think that we can all really take something beautiful away from. Um, So I will allow her to share her story. But before I go into that, I will say that the reason why I have this wonderful human being on the podcast is I have known Julie from a distance more than more often than not, to be frank, uh, for more than a decade now. I figured it out the other day. It was 12 years ago that you and I met. Uh, she is a professional dancer, a, an incredible dancer, and also an actress, and with fantastic comedy skills. There are a, f- a few a few things specifically that I'm thinking of that I'm sure we'll talk about because Jason is involved in one of them. <laughs> um, we will learn about Jason here in a moment. But um, anyway, so Julie is just an incredibly authentic human being and, and a, an incredible dancer and actress and artist all around. Um, We have gotten to know each other a little bit more in the last few years, last, you know, I would say when I say last few years, it's the few years that were before the COVID years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I have stood in awe of this human being that I'm going to have her share her story with you because she has been through <clears throat> some incredibly challenging experiences in her life. And from the outside looking in, I am sure these experiences have come with 
immense twists and turns emotionally that we are going to learn more about that is so important to understand about the human condition and all of what we move through when we're going through challenging times. But I can't help but see that she has kept a certain groundedness and authenticity that I deeply admire. Um, And I am just so grateful that you are coming on to share. They are so used to this. (laughs) (laughs) I am just so grateful that you are willing to come on and share all that you have moved through. And, uh, and how beautifully you have stayed connected to your community and to the people around you and to yourself, despite, and maybe, um, almost in, almost in, uh, reverence of all of the challenges that you have moved through. So all of that being said, because I am absolutely, you know, (laughs) just keeping people in the dark here. (laughs) Julie, can you please share with us a little bit about who you are? Let's start there. Share a little bit about who you are. (laughs) I know it's a big question. I go deep fast, right? So can you share with us a little bit about who you are? Like, let's start with kind of the simple stuff. Where are you from? And we're both Los Angeles now. You're pursuing and have been in pursuit of and and a very successful artist. Um, But anyway, share with us a little bit about your background and then and then I'll take you to the next step. Yeah, cool. Um, Yeah, I'm originally from Minnesota um, and I grew up there in a suburb of St. Paul. And then I migrated to Wisconsin for college. I went to UW-Madison. And that's actually where I met Jason. Um, And that was a magical experience. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever been to Madison, but it's just such a wonderful little college town. It's so, it's so great. Um, But yeah, uh, Jason and I met when I was a sophomore and he was a junior and I, I've been a dancer my whole life and I joined the dance team my sophomore year and um, a bunch of the girls on the team were friends with Jason and he was like the guy that was just like fun and easy to be around and a bunch of them were in like sororities and stuff so if they if they had like a dance to, to go to for their sorority and like their boyfriend couldn't come or something, they'd be like, Oh, bring Jason. And like, everybody was cool with that. And, you know, like boyfriend didn't get jealous, like dance friend would have a good time, like all as well. You know, he's just like that guy. Um, so yeah, we ended up, we ended up being introduced through mutual friends. Um, and that is how like our whole, whole journey started. We actually, we were out at a bar with like a bunch of the dance moms and I had like a little bit of a crush on him, you know, like we had met a few times, like maybe exchanged numbers, but like whatever. And, um, we're out at a bar and one of the moms was like, Hey, Julie, like, what about Jason? You know? And then to him, one of the, you know, one of the other moms was like, Hey, Jason, what about Julie. And it totally worked. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So So did you move to LA together? No. So 
he graduated a year before me and he stayed in Madison and got a job at a law firm because he wanted to go to law school, but he took kind of like a gap year to like really make sure that's like what he wanted to do before he made that commitment. Um, so he was like a, you know, intern or something like that at a law firm. And I graduated, had no idea what I was doing with my life. Like I had, you know, danced all through college. I wasn't a dance major. I was a communications major, but like, that's very vague, um, <laughs> which is great. But also like, I didn't have any kind of idea, like, what I wanted to be doing. I knew I wanted to keep dancing, but I would psych myself out. Like, you know, Madison's very close to Chicago and Chicago has some great dance companies. And I'd be like, oh yeah, okay. I could audition for this company or whatever. And I would look up when their auditions were. And then I would be like, "Mm, you know, that's St. Patrick's day weekend. And like, people are going to be coming in town. And like, I guess I can't, I just can't audition. So I would like, I, I wanted to do it, but I was scared. Like it was scary, you know? And so I would just like kind of psych myself out. So I graduated and my roommate, Lexia, was also a dancer. And she was like, hey, I'm going out to LA to audition for this scholarship program. I've auditioned like the last two years and I've made it to the final, you know, X amount of people and I haven't gotten in the program. They took 20 people in the program. Um, And she was like, do you want to just like come, you know, it'll be fun, like no pressure, like it'll be good practice, like practice audition, you know, and we can take class the week before. And I was like, yeah, sure, you know. And so I was like her, her wingman. And I I went out to LA and actually I was sick that whole time I was there. Like I got some stomach bug, like as we were driving from Madison to Minnesota, which is a four hour drive. Um, I was like sick the whole time we flew to LA. I like could only eat like crackers and Gatorade and we're like going and taking dance classes. And then I'm like going back to our like shitty hotel and just being like, uh, um, anyways. Yeah. I ended up getting in the program. I had no intention. Like, I didn't think that was possible. Um, but I remember looking at that list of names and my name was on it and I was like, Oh my God, I have to move to LA, you know? And it was like, it was, it was like, I can't not do this. But also I remember calling Jason and just being like, I got in. And he was like, Oh my God. And it was just like silent. And I think we were both just taking in like, what does that mean for us? You know? Um, so right when he started law school in Milwaukee, I moved to LA. Um, yeah. So like we were both embarking on these like new journeys, like together, but apart. Um, and this is before FaceTime and all of the tools that like make it so much easier to be in a long distance relationship. Yes. Um, so yeah, so we, we did that for, you know, three years, a little less. He came out the summer in between his second and third year in law school. He came out to LA, um, which was so needed at that time. It was just like, we were so sick of being apart and like, it just really bonded our relationship and it bonded like him as part of my community here because he would come out and visit and I would, you know, we'd hang out with my friends and stuff like that. But like that summer, like he lived with me and my roommates and like got to know them and got to know all the people. And like my friends became his friends which was like monumental in, you know, when he eventually moved here and then got sick very shortly after it was like, he was already part of this community here. Like we were part of the community together, you know, and that carried us through years and years of, of ups and downs and everything. So yeah. Amazing to me. That's a piece again, everybody 
you know, all the pod squad that listening that are listening. This is why I'm saying I have loved Julie from a distance. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much that, you know, we've, we've gotten to start to have some deeper conversations in, in the, in our, in our older years, I guess you could say. (laughs) but truly, you know, this, so I'm learning a lot at the same time as, as all of you are. So Julie, that is, that is just amazing to hear that, that you guys really were built on a really sturdy foundation having, you know, that is very challenging to have long distance relationship. And you, so you did that for about two to three years, two years. Yeah. I mean, his, his school was three, three years. So, you know, three like school terms. And then, you know, there was that summer in between. So maybe like two and a half. Right. Wow. Um, yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Lots wow. of, lots of flights and, and yeah. all of that. Did you find yourself, I know this is going to make you time travel a little bit, Uh but do you remember having to kind of check in with yourself to, to be like, am I still in this? Cause we're, we're, is this so challenging? Is this, is this worth the, the suffering of, of the distance? Did you ever have to check in or was it not even a question on your mind? It was kind it was like one of those things where it was just like, well, we want to be together and we both want to do these things. So this is just what we have to do. So, so we'll do it. You know, I do remember, cause I was like, I'm going to go out for this year long program and then we'll see, like, maybe I won't even like LA or whatever. And I do remember hitting sort of like a halfway mark in LA and being like, Ooh, I need to stay here, you know? And like, and that means that this isn't just a one year thing. That means like, this is a longer thing. And I remember having that conversation, um, but fortunately, like Jay was, you know, it, it it took him a moment to like kind of wrap his head around that, like, obviously, but he was always like, I, I never wanted like one of us to move somewhere because of the other person. But like, in, in reality, like, at a certain point, like, somebody does have to do something for the other person. And it's, it's for the relationship, you know, it's not like I'm doing this for you, it's I'm doing this for us, you know, Jason was like his, he was always like, we're a team. Relationships are a team. Like we're playing on the same team, you know? And so like, what do we need to do to like make that work? Um, and he was like, well, you can't do what you're doing anywhere else. I can go be a lawyer somewhere else. Like I'm going to move to LA. Plus he started to really love LA. And the more we lived here, the more he was like, I was meant to be here. Um, I mean, he loves Wisconsin where he came from and it's, it's wonderful. And that will always be like a huge part of his identity, but yes, but yeah, he was like, I just, I love it out here. Um, so yeah, it's, it was, you know, it was like, it was a choice, but it was a very natural choice and you have to sacrifice things when you're in, you know, a relationship in general. Right. But like also one that is long distance and um, there were challenges. I, it's, it's almost like every time we would like, you know, one would go visit the other, we would get in like little tiffs right off the bat. Cause it's like, you're in my space and that's not how I do things or what, you know, it's like those little, like, like we had to like readjust to like being together, you know, like it, but it was great. It was, yeah, it was, it was worth all of the, like, you know, the struggles. Like, yeah. Well, and like you said, it was, it, it, just, it felt so innate. There was no, even if you were caught up in the muck of the day to day and the, yeah. the, those challenges underneath it all, there was this innate drive that you were on the same team and you wanted to make it work. Totally. Yeah. Which, you know, is beautiful foreshadowing of 
the next kind of chapter of your guys's relationship. So share kind of the next chapter after he moved here. Yeah. So he moved to LA in May of 2010 and, um, you know, I just wanted it to be like this, oh, you're here and now we get to do this together and this together. And he was studying for the bar exam and the California bar exam is really freaking hard. And so he was like, okay, I'm not drinking. I'm not doing this. Like, I'm just going to, and me, I'm like, well, party booper, you know, like we're finally together. Like, let's go do things. Um, And so he was really like, you know, pretty focused on that. Um, And he started getting headaches and we were like, oh, well, you're really stressed and whatever. And then he started getting kind of dizzy and he saw a neurologist. Well, he saw like his doctor and then they referred him to a neurologist and he was diagnosed with vertigo. So they give you like meds to take and these like weird exercises to like do to try to like balance everything out. You know, vertigo is like a thing with your like inner ear, like the fluid in there and stuff. And so, you know, we're like, oh, your ear is weird and you have vertigo. And he, his friend got married that August and he, you know, was in the wedding and walking down the aisle with his bridesmaid. Like she was essentially supporting him because he was really wobbly and stuff. And so it, and it just kind of like started getting worse. Like his balance got worse and the headaches got worse and the meds weren't really doing anything. And like, he fell on Thanksgiving, he was sweeping and he was like, you know, doing the dustpan and like fell on his head and had like a big goose egg. And it was like, okay. You know, and he checks in with his doctor and his doctor's like, well, it's vertigo and blah, blah, blah. And finally it was right after Christmas of 2010. And he, I think he like fell in the bathroom, you know, it was just like, it was really bad. And he was like nearly vomiting from the headaches and he was like, okay, something is not right. And so he was, he was temping at a law firm at the time. He like called in sick and he called his doctor and was like, I'm either going to the ER or you're getting me an MRI because something is not right. And so he got an MRI and later that day, the doctor called and was like, Hey, there's a mass, like you need to go to Cedar sinai to the ER. They know you're coming, you know, don't forget the CD with the scan on it because hospitals still to this day use CDs. Like why has technology not gotten better? But this was, you know, 10 plus years ago. Anyways, uh, we go, we, we get to the ER. He had forgotten the CD. I turn around, I go get it. We're in the waiting room. ER waiting rooms are the worst. Yeah. Finally get brought back. And the nurse is just like at her little nurse station and she just looks at us and she's like, so how long have you guys known about the tumor? And we're like, what? And that's like how we found out that he had a brain tumor was just like a nonchalant comment because we came in with the CD and in fairness, like the neurologist was like, there's a mass, but we thought like in his ear, you know, the whole time we're thinking vertigo, we're not thinking brain, which is so silly and naive to me now, but like in the moment, you know what I mean? I do remember one night laying in bed with him and being like, well, what if you, what if it's a tumor? You know, maybe I did have that thought about a brain tumor, but anyways, and that's when you would expect your partner to be like, it's not that like, it's okay. It's, it's not that. And Jason is so not that person. And he was like, well, then it is. And then we deal with it. And I was like, so mad at that answer because I just wanted to like, I wanted that to not even be a possibility. Um, but he was always so like, well, if it's that, then we'll do this. Like, and, and he carried 
you know, that carried us through our whole, you know, nearly 10 year journey with brain cancer, which if anybody knows anything about brain cancer, like that's an unusually long amount of time for somebody who's diagnosed to fight and survive. And that's not just, I mean, people, we joined a brain tumor support group and, you know, there were people in the group that were, you know, 15, 20 years out and stuff. So it's, it's not impossible, but we also lost a lot of people in the group very quickly. And so anyways, yeah, that he was, um, this was right before new year's and he, the next day was in brain surgery and both of his parents flew in. They, um, they were not married when they had him. And so they've since married other people and, and he kept his families like very separate. That's just like how things were. And so his mom and his dad, you know, flew in. And I remember when he like woke up, you know, they're both like on the sides of a bed, you know, in the, the ICU. And it's like, what universe am I in right now? Like, why are you guys both here? You know, but it was really beautiful. Like that was the beginning of like the families really coming together. And like, we're so lucky for just, you know, how everyone dropped everything and just was like, you know, on team Jason and like, what does he need and how can we help, you know? Uh, But yeah, they, so they did one surgery, they did an MRI and were like, we think we could be more aggressive and get more of the tumor. It was the size of a lemon. So it was quite large and it was on his cerebellum, which controls like your coordination and stuff, which is why he was having vertigo like symptoms, you know, and like balance and all of that. So we're like, okay, let's, you know, do the second surgery. And after that one, um, he was like, not really able to speak much. Like they had been aggressive and it's also like, you know, impacts your speech, that part. And so when he came out of that second surgery, like it was hard for him to talk and stuff. And he had to really like relearn to walk and all of that. But he started chemo and radiation very shortly after, like while he was still in the hospital, he was in the hospital for a month. Um, he went to like, uh, like inpatient rehab program. Um, and when we came out, he was walking with like, it it looks like a walking stick. Like he's so tall. He was like, um, I don't know, six, two, six, three. And so like canes were not really an option. And so he had this, like his his stepdad made it like a a wooden dowel with like a bike handle at the top, you know, and the stopper at the bottom, like this badass walking stick. Um, but yeah, that was like the beginning of his whole journey. He did, radiation for a month, I believe. And then he did chemo in monthly doses. It was oral. So it was pills that he would take, um, for a year. And that's the standard of care for the kind of tumor he had. He had like, um, astrocytoma at first, which is like a stage three, four cancer. And then, you know, it was gone for a while, you know, um, And we got married and we lived our lives and he kept doing, you know, physical therapy, um, speech therapy, all of that. His speech never returned to normal. And so it's really interesting because we have a whole group of people that like knew Jason before. And, but then most of, most people met Jason as, you know, Jason who was a little wobbly and like, you know, that guy kind of talks a little funny, you know, like, what's going on? 
um, he was a lot, I don't want to say like quieter, but kind of, you know, like he's the kind of guy that like you, his one-liners would come out of nowhere and they would slap you and you would be dying, you know, like, and you'd be like, where did that come from? Um, he's so smart and so funny, but yeah, sorry. I'm really long-winded today. Well, you are not, this is the whole point. (laughs) Yes. And by the way, I will interject that I am one of those that came into your life post that, that surgery with Jason. So Jason was, in he was Gandalf. He had his walking stick and and all that wisdom of his one-liners. Right. Um, I, I, something I don't think I've, no, I know I haven't shared this with you. Um, but something that really endeared me to Jason every time I would see him, uh, whether it be at a dance gathering or what have you, or if he happened to come by to watch you in class, because sometimes I think you went to lunch or something after sometimes I'd see him at the studio and he gave me the same comfort as my grandfather. Yeah. And my, my grandfather was very, you know, my mom had me at 40. So therefore my grandfather was very much in grandpa land by the time I was old enough to really, you know, absorb all this, these memories with him, but very similar and very tall, very kind of a quiet nature. Uh-huh. Um, but just when they, when he spoke, there was just, you wanted to soak up everything he said. And I always had that same sense when I was with Jason and it was always very comforting and warm. And, uh, and so anyway, I just wanted to, to put that in there because it was, uh, it was just very, it was just very dear to see both of you, you know, not just with what you were navigating, but also just because he was such a dear human. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm so happy that people still, you know, got to experience his sense of humor and his intellect and all of that, because, you know, there were times where it was just like, I wish you guys knew him before because like, ah, you know, like he was so wild and funny and like, he still is, but like he had limitations, you know, like physical limitations and, and also like, you know, a new perspective on things too. But, um, but yeah, I'm so glad, like, you know, talking to people now when they like remember him and stuff, like it just, it makes me so happy to like, just know, like that they saw him, you know what I mean? Yes. You know, and they still think of him. I think when we lose someone, I, I mean, I know for myself, like I, my biggest fear, like after Jason died was like, he would just be forgotten, you know? And like that really scared me. And I very quickly learned that that was impossible, you know, like not only for myself, but for other people and and people that I know really well. And then people that are strangers, you know, or people that I, you know, are not like in my like close inner circle, like people that hadn't, you know, didn't have like a super strong relationship with Jason. And I find them reaching out or saying things or sharing like a memory or whatever. And it just like, it's really, it it really fills me up because like the last thing I want is for him to just sort of like disappear. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what that says about our spirit and our soul versus our human self. 
What do you suppose? I don't know. I mean, I think, I think we have such an impact that we don't see. I think it's really easy sometimes to like feel invisible or to feel like, what am I doing with my life? I mean, I feel like I constantly ask myself that question. (laughs) You know, I feel like, what am I, what am I doing? Um, but you know, when you zoom out like that and you see just like the little ways in which we impact each other, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think we're all so much more connected than we realize. Yes. And I don't think, you know, I don't think like the soul leaves in that. I mean, I don't know what happens when you die, but, um, you know, I definitely think we live on in some form of realm or universe or whatever, but we most certainly live on within the people that we have bumped into, you know, like I am this version of me because I have Jasonisms in me and all of those like experiences with him and stuff and, you know, little pieces of you and everything, you know, everyone that we touch, like we, we take away a little piece of them for better or worse. So yes. Yes. uh, so, um, take us to, so it, you guys, like you said, so you, he had an experience of, um, oh, of course the word is leaving me. What is it when remission, was it remission? Yeah. Uh, for- technically call it that because like, I don't know, it usually comes back, <laughs> but like cancer free, you know, like no perceivable disease. Um, yeah, we lived in that world for like five years. He would get MRIs every three months and then they switched it to every four months during which he, um, developed an allergy to the contrast that they inject in you, which that was super fun. So then he would have to like medicate before MRIs. It just made everything harder. Um, but yeah, he was cancer free for five years. And then in May of, uh, 2016, we went in for a regular scan. We like had planned where we were going to get lunch after, you know, and like we go and like his, uh, neuro-oncologist who's like the most amazing person, you know, like we always like, you know, catch up with him at our little, you know, things and whatnot, our things, our doctor's appointments. Um, (laughs) well, that just shows you honestly how much it was a part of your life. That's why you're so lighthearted about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's funny because during that time, you know, like when he was doing chemo, you would go in every, I think it was like every two weeks or something, um, or at least every month. And so now we're in a part where like, oh, we only see Dr. Rudnick every three months and like, oh, how's, you know, what's going on with your family? Like, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was nice. And I just remember he came in and he was like, we have a problem. And it's just like, your heart just sinks because he would always come in and like kind of open the door and just be like, Hi guys, you know, and like, yeah. And so we, you know, the cancer had come back. It was in the same place. And, um, you know, we had options and, you know, elected to do surgery again. And then we're going to do like a little bit of radiation and chemo. And then he did end up getting on a clinical trial of an immunotherapy um, which was oral. It was pills. It was six pills in the morning and six pills at night. And, um, 
the reason he was able to get on that is because the tumor at this point, they found out after surgery, had morphed into a glioblastoma, which is not the kind of brain cancer you want. Um, GBMs can be super aggressive and super deadly. And most people, when they're diagnosed, you know, it's, it's a few months. Um, but treatment has gotten a lot better and there's a lot more options and stuff. So anyways, yeah, he, I remember walking out of the, you know, the clinic and walking down like at Cedars in the advanced science or advanced health pavilion. Um, the neuro department's like, oh gosh, I should remember these things. I think on the sixth sixth floor. And then like on the main level is where you would go for like pre-op scans and stuff. So they, that same day of, you know, getting the MRI, we um, pushed our lunch back because he had to go get some pre-op stuff done. And I remember calling my sister when he was in, you know, doing his EKG and all that fun stuff. And I remember her answering the phone and I remember my legs just giving out. Like you see it in the movies, you know, but like it happens. Like my body just was like, oh, you know, and I just remember like sobbing and like, you know, it's like, I think there's a part of us that hoped we never had to go through this again, even though there's a part of us that knew it was always a possibility. At the more time that goes by, the more it becomes like a smaller little like, you know, ghost in the corner instead of the thing that's like constantly at your side. And yeah, it was, um, I mean, it, yeah, it was awful, (laughs) but it was another moment where our community like really really showed its support like between our three families and all of our friends our people in LA our friends all over the country like everyone was so great like we could not have gotten through what we got through without the support of others and it was such a lesson in accepting help because for me that's something that's really hard and for Jason too and you know, asking for help is even harder, but like when somebody's giving you help, just accepting that and allowing that is, it's also a gift for the other person because now that I've been on the other side of other people's, you know, hardships, all you want to do is help and you don't know how, and you don't know what to say. And so just like any little thing that you can do to like make their life better or show them that you love them is like what you want to do. And I realize now it's such a gift to like accept somebody's help, even when you want to be independent and not need it or feel bad about it, you know? Yes. Um, So, yeah. And then, you know, it was another two years and then it came back, you know, and it was like each time the disease came back, it was like a shorter amount of time in between. And so you naturally start to know like, okay, this isn't going away. And the treatment options start to get fewer and fewer, you know, like we've already done this kind of chemo. Okay. Well, we can try this kind of chemo and we can try this other thing. You know, we could still do a surgery. Can't do this anymore. You know, it's just like, And then at a certain point, it's like, okay, well, there's no more chemos to try. And so his last surgery was during the pandemic. Um, And at this point, um, 
it had come back in the same spot where it was always coming back, but also in a different area of the cerebellum and then also in the frontal lobe. And so now it's spreading. So now, you know, like, okay, we're getting, we're getting to the point of like, we need to confront the fact that this is at some point going to kill him. And I think we both lived in this world where we didn't go there. I think we were superstitious about it. Like we didn't really talk about death. You know, it was always about living, which I'm very grateful for because I feel like we did a lot of living in those years, you know, from the end of 2010 until uh, 2020, which is when Jason passed. Like we traveled so much, you know, we, we saw so many people that we loved. Like, I think it, it forced us to be present with each other in ways that, you know, maybe you aren't when you just kind of like take each day for granted. There's something we, every night we would lay down in bed, you know, to get ready to go to sleep and we'd look at each other and, and one of us would be like, how was your day? And the other person, the answer was always the same. It was always like, good. And it was like, because whatever shit show just happened, it's like, we're sitting here laying next to each other, looking at each other and we have each other. So like, Things are good. And I really, I appreciate that, you know, and that doesn't mean that things were easy or things were always good or whatever, but I think both of us were always able to help each other find the good. And that's something that's really helped me throughout that process. And then after losing him is just like, you know, life gets really hard, bad things are going to happen, stuff that you can't control, stuff that you can, and it's still whatever, you know, but it's like finding like the good, even within the bad things. It's not like, for me, it's not negating those bad things. It's just like allowing yourself joy. Um, so yeah, I mean, his, his last surgery, like it, it was so weird, you know, it was during COVID, like they wouldn't let us, like, it was a miracle. They let me in the hospital with him. Um, and he was out like the next day they were like, get these people, like get them out. <laughs> you know, we need the space. But, um, yeah, when he went into the hospital, like for the final time, it was for pneumonia. And we thought like, oh, he's going to like get some antibiotics and then he'll come home. And, and I knew like, I just, I wanted to be with him. And I like, when he passed, like I wanted him to be at home and whatever. And we weren't even mentally there yet when he went in for that final time. Like it was still like a thing in the future. Um, he still was going to do some extra radiation because that might extend his life, you know? And like, anyways, they did not let me in the hospital. And then it was, he was there for, you know, almost a month. Um, they, they started letting me in here and there and stuff, but then it was just like one thing out of, after another, he was intubated and then he was extubated and they had to put him, you know, on like a feeding tube and like, you know, then they had to trach him, which means they like, you know, cut a hole in your throat so you can go on and off a ventilator. And all the while, both of us were thinking like, we just need to get him out of the hospital because like, then we can be together. 
you know, and this was the first time we had gone through something without being by each other's side or gone through his illness. Like I would sleep in the hospital with him whenever he was there before. Like I spent a month in the hospital the first time he was diagnosed. So it was like, we didn't leave each other's side and to not be physically present was so hard. Um, but we were lucky in that they did allow like our families to come see him like one last time before, you know, he was taken off of the ventilator. And then when he actually passed, um, (laughs) it was just me and his mom and his dad present. We took him off the ventilator and the ICU doctor was like, you know, it's probably going to happen pretty quick. And so we're like, okay, we're bracing for, you know, for that. And then Jason in like his true Jason fashion was like, um, oh, you're trying to tell me what to do? Like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And stubborn and kept breathing. And it was such a beautiful moment because we, we spent the night there and then we were able to go into like a hospital hospice room so that we could just, you know, the ICU is like lights are on all time. You have no idea what day or night there's beeping everywhere. And so just to be in like a quiet room and, you know, the night before he passed in the morning, but the night before he opened his eyes one last time. And it was so magical to like have that last like moment of connection, you know, and I could see how sick he was just obviously, you know, because he's literally dying in front of me, but it's like, you could just, he never showed how sick he was. I think we were both blind to how sick he actually was. And, but to be able to just like look in each other's eyes one last time. And I don't know, I've said a bunch of stuff. I don't even remember what I said, but I remember the last thing that I said was, you know, I know you're really tired and it's okay. Like you can, you can go. And he just closed his eyes. It was like, okay, thanks. You know, I am tired and now I am going to close my eyes. Um, And he passed that next morning. I was on the phone with my sister. My dad had said something silly and my sister was sharing it with me. So I was laughing and I was telling Jason about it. And then his parents texted me like that they were on their way. And so I'm like, you know, your parents are coming. And it's like a beautiful LA morning. And I got up from the bed, you know, he had like a little drool coming down from his lips. And I was like, let me get that for you. And I like got up from the bed and grabbed a paper towel and I turned around and it was like, I just knew like without even touching him or hearing or whatever. I was just like, oh my God, he's gone. And then I laid down and I like put my head on his chest and it's such a wild thing, like to put your head on someone's chest and not hear anything. like. It's so surreal. Um, But also it was like, it was so beautiful in just the, you know, it's like almost like he, he waited for me to get up. Like he couldn't do it right in front of me, you know? And he knew I was happy. He knew I was laughing. Like he knew his family was on the way. So like, I would be okay. I wouldn't be alone. And like, we had that moment together. And that to me felt very Jason and very intentional. Because he was a very, like, intentional person, like, with his words and his actions and all of that. So, so yeah. And then it's still the pandemic. So we're just in this, like, weird world of disconnection and, you know, like, being separated from one another. 
which weirdly gave me like a space to grieve. You know, I'm a very go, go, go person. And then being in like the entertainment industry, like you're constantly hustling and that was shut down. And like, for me, that was such a gift to not have to, you know, worry about that hustle and just to allow myself to, you know, go through whatever I needed to go through because I know me and I know like it would be very easy for me to just like busy myself with, with life, you know? Yes. So anyways, that, that was that. That thank you. First and foremost, thank you so much. This is exactly what I knew would happen (laughs) that you would share so honestly couple of things stood out. Well, Jesus Christ, all of it stands out, but um, oh, I just want to tell you also that the feeling inside of me just wants to be so quiet, but there's people <laughs> that are listening. So I need to <laughs> keep it moving. <laughs> it's just such a, I, I think it just, it's such a, and it, it's such an expansive feeling to it's such an expansive feeling to really listen to somebody who has experienced the depth of who we are beyond all the noise, meaning all the noise, just like you said, yes, life is challenging. Yes. We, we fuss about things. We worry about things. We've got all of that stuff that comes and goes on top. Yeah. But you have experienced such a depth of depth of not just experienced, communicated your experience of the the depth of who we are that sometimes I think is a little bit beyond things that we could even wrap our head around. Yeah. But you know, even sharing that feeling that you turned around and you just knew he had moved. Yeah. You know, he had he had moved cities. you know and what is that that you're speaking to that that depth of of soul that isn't that isn't all of this stuff that's on top that we so innocently can get so caught up in all the time and I'm still guilty of that you know I think there's a part of me that was like right after it happened I was like well I just experienced the hardest thing that I'll probably ever experience. And I'm still here, you know, so I can do anything and like, I'm fearless, (laughs) you know? And I think that still lives somewhere inside of me, but like, it's, we're human, you know? And like, and then the petty stuff comes up again and you have to fight against it and remember, like, that's not the stuff that matters. Um, Yeah. But yeah, there it's, yeah. Something else that you said that really stayed, stood out to me. Um, one of my two questions I had written down <laughs> out of, out of potential that I would need them, which I don't really, but I'll use it since it's there. Is <laughs> what you got. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I had, what had occurred to me last night when I was thinking about our conversation today is what does hope in the face of grief look like for you? Yeah. And you actually shared what, and this is before he had moved cities. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, 
which you both know you do so well at, by the way, because you started off in two separate cities. <laughs> so the bond is forever solidified. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But you should you something you shared that I think is so important for people to hear. No matter the stage of life they're in, no matter what chapter, whether they're they, they've experienced loss and grief or not. Mm-hmm. But as you said, it's in it's kind of a beautiful thing that both of you kind of chose. It sounds to me like it wasn't even something that you specifically had a conversation about. Maybe you did, but that moment when you said instead of keeping the the fear and the the ghost or the the demon right in front of you it kind of started to get smaller and go by the wayside and even though there was a part of you that knew that it was always there that we, it was something you would have to manage that you chose to live your life and in the process of doing that you experienced immense joy yeah. and i think that's you know I think we actually shared this with each other when I asked you to come on when we were in class the other week, but it's that idea of like a hose. And if you crimp the hose to grief and, you know, because you're scared of the experience of what it'll feel like and look like that you, you crimp the hose to all the other things that can come along with it. Totally. So can you share a little bit about that? Was that a was that a conscious choice in you or in him or both of you as a team? Or was that just something where you kind of thought, I want to experience more life with my partner or with each other. So therefore let's choose this. What what did that look like? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I think Jason and I both were always like inherently optimistic. I mean, I know that he went through a battle of depression, like right after his initial diagnosis, which he masked beautifully to me. I didn't, you know, I knew he was struggling just like readapting to like this new body that he's in, but uh, he, he did a lot of writing and he shared part of like a memoir that he had started. Um, with me. And I read the chapter about that time. And he talks about like being really depressed and like, maybe it's, maybe it would be better if I wasn't even here, you know, like not that he was suicidal, but just that there was, there were those thoughts of like, what am I doing? And I feel like I'm pulling people down and like, would it be easier? And then he was always able to circle back to like, no, that's not easier, you know? And like, and that's, you know, like it's a choice to, you know, decide that, that you want to, to stay in this thing and to realize like that there is more joy to be had. And that also people love you and other, you know, if you decide this is getting too hard or whatever, like it's kind of selfish, you know, and I'm not, I, I really like, I know this is a very sensitive topic to people and stuff. And so I'm not trying to like say anything about anyone who's made that choice or whatever, but you know, for Jason, I think it was like, he got through that really challenging hump of like, you know, maybe that was part of his grief too. Like him grieving, like this new situation that he's in and then decided to choose, you know, to live and, and enjoy life. But I think both of us 
are optimistic people by nature, which is very helpful <laughs> in a situation like this. And I think sometimes we were blindly optimistic. And honestly, I'm really glad that we were because he he's like in one of his he has a blog um and in one of his entries he would he would write a lot of times like surrounding an upcoming mri or or right after that or just like an update for people to know where he was at and one of the things was like why not me like when faced with improbable circumstances you know a david and goliath moment like why can't i be the hero like why can't i be the 1% that makes it or whatever, you know, and in order to have that, like, um, success story is the wrong, like that, you know, that victory that we all love, you know, we go to the movies to like, see these types of stories, like in order to be the hero of that story, you have to go through something really hard. And so like for him, he was like, what, here I am, I'm going through the hard thing. So why can't I, why can't it be me? that beats this or that, you know, whatever. Fine. Yes. Yes. Um, now I forget the question that you started with. Cause this well, is you, well, you've already been answering it <laughs> saying I, my question to you was, you know, did you guys choose, were you choosing life and optimism and in, in order to experience more yeah. joy, you know, or, or choosing to not get consumed by the fear of what was happening? Yeah. Or was that I think so I think, I think not only just so we could, I think when you have some kind of diagnosis that really puts your own or somebody you love's mortality, like right in front of your face, it is very humbling. And it reminds us you know, that life is so much bigger than the little things that we get upset about. And it does give you the, it's a deadline, right? Like we all have a deadline with life. We're all going to die. But like, if I have a project I'm working on, like a creative project or something, like, unless I have a deadline, like I'm going to let that thing, you know, I'll work on it. Sure. But like, it's going to be the thing that gets pushed, right? If like something else comes up, I get a job or this or that. and. I think for Jason and I, it was like even getting married, you know, like we were never in a rush to get married. We knew what our relationship was. It was strong. It was good. Like we don't need a ring on it to like tell us what it is. Right. But then something like this happens and it's like, why aren't we married? Also navigating the healthcare system as a girlfriend and not a wife is very challenging. <laughs> yes. I bet. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like it, it was like, okay, but what? let's, we love each other. We want to be with each other. Let's get married, you know? And with a lot of our travels and stuff, it was like, okay, like maybe we don't have a ton of money right now. And, you know, our good friends getting married, you know, in France, we're going to go, you know? And to be honest, our friends really helped make that possible. Like we could not have taken that trip, like without their help, but it's like, things where you would, you know, maybe like the logical part of you would be like, well, could we do this? Or it was like, no, we're going to do this, you know? And I do feel like we enjoyed even just like going and getting a coffee and a pastry or something it was like such a wonderful moment and like something to like take in and savor and enjoy because, you know, whatever chaos just happened, a lot of times we would go get like brunch at Republic after doctors, you know, things, uh, appointments and stuff. And it was like our little moment of like doing something that was like 
luxurious, you know, like in the face of something really challenging, it's like, okay, but after we do this hard thing, then we're going to go get a really nice meal, you know? And I think, I think because of his diagnosis, we were just much more cognizant of those things. And I think we chose to maybe compartmentalize and, and maybe ignore like the big blooming thing. Like I remember somebody having a talk with me being like, so you know, if this doesn't work, like blah, blah, blah. And it was like, what do you mean if this doesn't work? Like, it's going to work. Like, we're going to do the things and it's going to work and then we're going to be okay. You know, it was just like, I don't know. I think that really did help us. Oh, you know, I think, I think it extended his life for sure. You know, I think he always had something to live for, you know? And, and I think also it just made, it made life better because we could, even if we got in a fight or something went wrong or whatever, it's like, we could still lay in bed at the end of the day and be like, things are good. That's beautiful. And something that I'm, I'm wanting to point out too, fundamentally that was happening inside of you guys as humans, that kind of speaks to what I share and, and teach with, teach people is I think we can get kind of caught up in ideas of if I don't stay consumed by the thing that is Mm -hmm. that is in my face that is really challenging if I don't stay consumed with that then you know then I won't be able to handle like it's almost like we pre-worry so that way we can yeah because we think that'll be help us handle it when if if and when something were to shift in a in a and you know in in him passing or whatever yeah what I'm hearing from you is, is in allowing whatever experience to be present, to, to move through you. And, and, you know, cause it's not like you had, you were ignoring if you had a wave of grief or sadness, you also allowed yourself to experience that. If I'm not wrong, I cry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you were in doing that, in allowing your mind to to be free and experience whatever was present on a moment-to-moment basis, that's what allowed you to have the entire spectrum of the human experience from suffering to pure bliss with yeah. him. And, and the reality is, is we do our best in navigating things in present time. So there is nothing, if you had stayed consumed in worry and fear for a decade, it absolutely would not have prepared you for the moment when you turned around. Yeah. Having moved cities. (laughs) I don't know why I'm hanging on to that metaphor. Okay, why not? (laughs) It just feels kind of delightful. I don't know. But... But you know what I mean? Like, so what I'm hearing from you is because there was this underpinning of optimism and lightheartedness um, and positivity, um, it wasn't false. It wasn't disassociation. It sounds to me like you were absolutely present with what was going on moment to moment. And you just, in choosing to not stay consumed by the pain of it all, it allowed you both to live. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were young when this all happened. Like he was 27 when he was diagnosed. I was 25. And 
you know, so for these like 10 years of our lives, you know, like our mid twenties into our mid thirties, like this was normal. Yeah. You know, and people sometimes ask, you know, like, I don't know, like how you did that or whatever. And it's like, you just do it. It just became normal. You just do it. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and we certainly did not do it alone. I mean, there are so many people that have helped that continue to help. Like we have amazing people in our lives and like that, that support, you know, I, I realize like not everybody has support like we had and have, you know, and I'm so grateful for that because it's, I've continued to, to lean on that as, as other things, you know, in life unfold. Yes. Yes. So this hour has gone lickety split. I feel like I talk too much. It's an interview <laughs> of you. <laughs> this is beautiful, beautiful sharing. So thank you. I always end every interview with one final question, but I do have a question preemptively, if you don't mind, if I could ask you two more questions. Two more questions. Okay, great. Um, as I've kind of shared with you a little bit and everybody knows on here, I'm, I'm, uh, have a, a deep respect and appreciation and love for father Greg of homeboy industries mm-hmm. and something that he shared on his, uh, interview with me here, um, was that, uh, grief is not supposed to leave you where it found you. Mm-hmm. I want to know what your interpretation of that is in your in, in your experience of life these days? Grief is not supposed to leave you where it found you. So what does life look like these days to you is really my question. Yeah. I mean, I think that it does, it changes you, but it never goes away. You know, like somebody, somebody described it as like, you know, there's a ball in a box right? And when you start out and there's a little pain button at the bottom, right? And when you start out, the box is really small. So the ball's bouncing around and it's constantly hitting the pain button because that's, there has, there's no space. It's going to hit that all the time. And as you grow, like your little grief ball stays there and the pain button stays there, but the box starts to expand. And so now your grief is still bouncing around in your life and it's still going to hit that pain button, but it's not going to hit it as much. And it's like, you know, the pain is still going to be very painful when it hits. Like the button doesn't like get easier to feel, right? But you just, you're, you don't have to feel that pain as much, but the grief is still, is still there like in you. And to me, that's like such a like relatable, like metaphor. Like I feel that because when it hits, it still really hits, you know, but then I am a different person because of what I've been through. And I see the world through a different lens, you know, and, and the grief is a very important part of my story and about who I am, you know, and like who I will continue to, to be. And so, you know, I don't, I would, I would never wish, you know, cancer and loss and whatever upon someone, but it certainly is a part of like my life that I wouldn't ever give up because like 
that was Jason and I's story. Like we got that time together, you know, and I would never, the love that we had was so special and some people don't ever experience something like that. And if, if this was how it had to play out, I would much rather go through this a million more times in order to like have that than to like wish it away and, and not have like as deep of a love and connection with somebody. Yeah. Again, I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> you, did. you sure did. But yeah, I mean, we have to just keep growing and keep going. And, you know, we carry the past with us because it shapes who we are, you know, but it doesn't mean it has to like dictate our future. Yes. Beautifully said. Yes. All right, Julie. All right. Last question. And you can answer this however you interpret it in this moment, spiritually, practically, emotionally, whatever occurs to you in this moment to respond, how to respond. Julie, what moves you? Oh my gosh. Ah! What moves me? I don't know. People move me. Like I'm so grateful to be a part of this conversation. And I feel like I, you know, like I owe so much of the joy in my life to the people that are in it. And I'm constantly moved by people's stories and, and by the like little interactions that I have with them, whether it's somebody that I know really well, or like some random thing, a stranger and I, you know, talk about like it, I don't know. I think, I think we're so much more connected than we realize. And yeah, I'm just fascinated by, by all of the, you know, people and stories and the things that keep me going. I love that. That's beautiful. Also dance moves me because I'm a dancer and I freaking like, I cannot go too long without dancing or taking a class or just moving my body, you know, like there's so much to be said about moving your body in whatever way, <clears throat> you know, that feels good to you. Yes. Like, so I don't know, get up and dance people. Like it feels good. Do whatever, do whatever your body wants to do because it's so liberating. There's so much stuff that we just need to get out and express. Yes. And would you say, I lied. There is a final follow-up question. <laughs> Would you say that movement has been a big part of your healing? Oh my God. Absolutely. 100%. Like sometimes I will just turn on a song and like ecstatic dance around my living room. Sometimes I will go and take a class and lose myself in that moment. I'll go for a hike. I'll, you know, it's just like, we have to keep moving. Like the body wants to move, like it needs to, you know? And that is, I think, for me, like stuff that I've held inside, it's like, a, it's a way for it to like have permission to get out. Oh, have permission to get out. <laughs> well said. Julie. Oh, and then I did want to say where, cause I want people to be able to find, I had see in, in my, you know, <laughs> kind of 
can't even think of the words to say, you know, but uh, in my secret way of pointing to the fact that you and Jason did that really hilarious skit. You did a, quite a few skits, actually, that were wonderful. There was one in COVID that I thought was wonderful, too. But I would love people to see, you know, obviously see you dance, but also you do do some really beautiful posts that are in honor of Jason that kind of keep him, keep him. his aliveness is all around all of us, obviously, because, because he still moves me when I think of him, but him in this city, (laughs) you really keep him present for all of us on there too. And they've, and then there's those wonderful acting skits that you guys did together, which he obviously, as you said, he was a lawyer, he was not an actor, but he went right along with it. He killed it. Like, I I mean, he should have been an actor, a model, whatever, like Jason, the camera loves Jason. Absolutely. So if people wanted to, Oh, go ahead. No, you go. Sorry. I know we're like totally over time or whatever, but that sketch, I I wrote it like based on Jason and I, like, you know, an experience that married people have. Right. And then my writing partner and I were supposed to be in it together because Jason, you know, he's not an actor. And so it was like, Oh, we were going to do this thing together that I wrote. And then he ended up not being available for the shoot. And then I like asked my cousin, I was like, well, it could be like two friends. And then she wasn't available. And it was literally happening that day. And Jason was like, well, I'll do it. And I was like, oh my God, why did I never, like, of course, of course you should be like, why did I not think of that? Like, and now I feel terrible that I didn't ask you in the first place, but anyways, (laughs) he killed it. He's so good. That makes the story even better. I'm so glad you interjected to tell me. It's just like the universe being like, no, this is for you guys. Like, this is your little, your little story. Like, oh, oh, the other things that you think maybe should. No, this is you. It is so you and all of us who have, who are married. Like I just, you know, every, every holiday when you repost it, Mike and I watch it and giggle because we're like, this is so relatable. So where do people find you if they want to go look up your life and what you do and see those things on, on Instagram, what, what's your handle? My handle is Julie P as in Peter. Well, it's actually as in Patricia, my middle name, Schmid, S-C-H-M-I-D. Great. Julie P. Schmidt is my handle and it's my website and, and all of that too. So. Perfect. Okay. Julie P. Schmidt also.com. Just going to shout out Jason here. He, his blog is still available. If you want to like read any Jasonisms, it's called smorgasbord, but board is spelled like I'm bored. B-O-R-E-D.com. So spell out the whole smorgasbord. I, that is a big ask, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> Smorg spelling things out loud. (laughs) It is a big ass. Smorg is bored. I'm sure people could do it. And I did read several of those entries when he was writing them, and they are so absolutely delightful and insightful. So it is a a worthy shout out. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Julie, thank you for being on What Moves You with Jesse. This has been such a beautiful and insightful and enlightening conversation, just as I expected it to be. And so thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, I'll see you again in class sometime soon. We must go back. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Have a wonderful day. You Bye. Thank you for listening to What Moves You with Jesse. Let's stay connected. You can find more ideas and strategies on being human on my Instagram at what moves you with Jesse. 
Sign up for my newsletter or learn more about working with me at whatmovesyouwithjesse.com. And please rate and review the show and let us know what you think and what resonated. I read every single review. They mean so much to me. You can also call in on our hotline with your thoughts on what resonated there too. It is always live at 818-646-JESS. That's 818-646-JESS. What Moves You with Jesse is produced by Mike McGraw and Tinker City Music. Now, let's take a deep breath and give ourselves permission to live in this moment for what truly moves you.